Hello and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast. I'm Ross Kenyon. I am the creative editor at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. Today, I'm bringing on a new co-host, a podcast alumna, patron at Nori's Patreon, a writer, recent MFA grad in creative writing, Jess Miles. How are you? I'm great, especially after that introduction. I'm excited to be here and thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you back. You're the Cli-Fi person that <laughs> I lean on all the time when I need some uh, extra intel, some backup. And you're here to provide backup because we saw a very interesting announcement come out, which is that Grist is doing a very cool Cli-Fi project called Imagine 2200 Climate Fiction for Future Ancestors. To tell us about this project is Tori Stevens, the New England network weaver at Fix Grist Solutions Lab. Hey, Tori. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. We're so happy to have you. Why don't you kick us off by telling us about this Imagine 2200, which, by the way, do you, is that how you say it? 2200? Yeah, 2200 for sure. I could definitely talk about that. So as you mentioned before, I'm at Gris and I work at Fix the Solutions Lab there. And we hatched this idea, or at least with a group of um, climate solution-focused individuals in New England. So um, for Gris, typically, I have, and what I do normally is I'm their network weaver, and I've been pulling together all these folks from New England to talk about climate solutions and bright spots and things that are happening in New England. And when we were convening with these groups, we were like, hey, um, what are some exciting things that Grist or Fix can get involved in that would be, that would help the public, you know, understand the climate crisis, some of the solutions, hopeful, hopeful solutions to get out of this. And someone brought up the idea of a climate fiction initiative. And we workshopped that with that group and with another group of um, climate solution folks again. And eventually we decided, let's do this thing. And so now we've launched um, Imagine 2200 Climate Fiction for Future Ancestors. And, you know, the whole focus of this is to grow the genre in a way that pulls in more voices. Uh, so we're interested, I'm interested in talking about that today and digging into it. I think all of that sounds great. And I've been a follower of Grist for a long time. And I primarily know Grist as a environmental journalism and environmental justice journalism outlet. And so I guess my first question mm -hmm. would be, why climate fiction in particular, especially given there are other literary outlets who do ask for environmental climate fiction, why should writers apply to Grist's contest specifically? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think like the design of it is really exciting. So just to, you know, put that out there, we are asking for intersectional climate solution focused cli-fi, um, which is a lot to say. And like basically what we're trying to do is we we want to grow the genre, not just because like it's a fun and exciting thing. But when we were workshopping this with individuals, we had like this visioning session that brought out all these different aspects of 
what could be the pathway forward. And we, we noticed that there was, there's multiple pathways, you know? And so fiction or science fiction or cli-fi, because there's this world building aspect and you're dreaming of a future that you want, there is a lot of place to play in. And so we are pushing this because we actually believe that fiction can offer a pathway for us to get out of this climate crisis. It's not the only thing. Yes, we're going to need the technologies that are out there, the renewables and um, changes in lifestyle and power dynamics, but fiction can offer up like a way to see how we get there. So I think making more art about climate is certainly helpful. I think it hits a part of the brain that science does not. Um, That's right. I always come back to this over and over. There's a story from, I think I got it from Brian Greene in trying to publish The Elegant Universe about string theory that his publisher said for every for every equation that made it into the book, his sales would drop in order of magnitude. <laughs> it's like, like you need to minimize the math if you want to tell this story and get people to read it and care about it. And um, maybe something parallel is happening for cli-fi, climate fiction. One thing that you said, though, that stands out to me that I would like a little bit more clarification on is the intersectional component here. It might be worth unpacking a bit uh, the basics of what intersectionality is and how it might interact with climate change. Yeah, the way that we're showing up and, you know, putting that call out there that these stories, the submitted stories are intersectional, is that we understand that folks have layers to them, you know? Uh, So uh, let me back up and um, kind of issue like a problem statement that we see in climate fiction, which is that we think that it's the world building's great. We think that the stories are dynamic. They're even, you know, just really interesting, but they're falling short when it comes to characters, you know, and, and, you know, I'm painting a a broad brush, but, you know, there's a lot of straight and narrow characters. And so we want characters to show up that have layered parts of themselves. So intersectionality tells us that there are, you know, we have a society where there's power dynamics and there's, you know, different layering of oppressions depending on your identity. We would love for folks to not just be diverse, but for them to be also diverse in a multitude of ways. So that could be their class, that could be their race, um, we, and those two things combined. So you could have like an Indian queer person as a character in um, this, you know, really exciting story. And the, the reason that's important is not just because of diversity. Um, that's important because, you know, well, it's important because of diversity, but it's also important because this visioning piece that I was talking about, about seeing a future. There's folks that look like, and there, there's an, uh, a queer Indian person out there that wants to see themselves in the stories and is fighting for this future right now. And there's sort of like an erasure that can happen in the genre. And we don't want that to happen because we know that the movement is very diverse and multi-layered and intersectional. And so we want to do that in the fiction space as well. I have to say that that means a lot to me just as a reader and as a mixed race indigenous kid. I think bringing more diverse voices to the environmental space and inside of that, the cli-fi genre is really important because environmental literature, both fiction and nonfiction, can be somewhat homogeneous, as you touched on a little bit earlier. One of my questions, well, I have two. My first question, Tori, is what is your favorite cli-fi book or what are you currently reading? 
And then I think it's also important if you can distinguish for listeners the difference between cli-fi and then the subgenres of hope punk and solar punk. Yeah, for sure. Right now, I am reading Ministry of the Future, and I am digging it. I'm pretty, um, I'm about 75% of the way into the book. I would recommend it. I think it's expansive. And it is global, which I do like, um, which is uh, quite different than some of the other stories that I've read. And I think some of the characters are dynamic, to some degree intersectional, but I am digging the story. So the way is, the, I think it's easier, let me talk about cli-fi and solar punk. I actually think that those two like are layered or some interchangeable to some degree sometimes. They're very similar in that they're both very hopeful and um, focused on climate solutions. And so I, sometimes those, they can be interchangeable and I'm not really sure if I can distinguish them that much other than that, you know, Cli-fi has often been about a like doomsday scenario or something apocalyptic, you know. I haven't seen, with with ho- with solar punk. Sorry, it is you know just like more hopeful, more utopian. Typically, I'm I'm not someone who's read a ton of solar punk, but it's one of the genres we're asking to show up in this contest. We've made particular appeals to particular communities and literary traditions, and solar punk is one of them. There was a second part of your question, but I uh, lost it. Oh, no, I think you head. answered it. I was just trying to make the distinction between cli-fi and then the subgenres of solar punk and hope punk. And I would agree that climate fiction and solar punk can get a little bit muddled. But I think for someone who is perhaps coming to climate fiction for the first time, at least my brain goes to doom and gloom stories like Cormac McCarthy's The Road, whereas like mm-hmm. the Grist contest very much is focused on solutions based. So that's kind of, I was trying to make that distinction for the listener. Gotcha, gotcha. And the part that I forgot was um, Hope Punk, which is like, you know, a a budding genre. You know, we latched onto that. I don't think it's as well defined as like solar punk. But, you know, people are playing in that space. And I remember Vox a while ago did a breakdown on it. So um, I think that's helpful to being like, hey, we made it for the folks that are like Hope Punk enthusiasts. So the one thing that we are trying to do with this particular initiative is that, you know, we want to be playing in the space of hope, but we're not being, you know, overly rosy about the situation that we're in right now that, you know, we just didn't want to land with dystopian stories. <laughs> we, we want to figure out how to get to a green, clean and just future. And so we're asking for stories that are hopeful. But we understand that there's going to we want there to be conflict and um, these kind of like epic soap opera, like or space opera kind of style things. Things that can happen. So, yeah, landing with a good Amer- American a happy ending would be great, <laughs> is basically what we're saying. I love the idea of uh, soap operas and space operas, although the landing page for the contest does say not to veer too far into Star Wars. Yeah, uh, you know, we like at Grist, we like to, you know, play with the words and um, we have that kind of, um, you know, we're just we, 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 we play with words. <laughs> so, we're, you know, we're, we're interested in good stories. I think that's the first space opera I think of. Uh, is that where you're getting at, Jess? Yeah. 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 And I'm a Star Wars fan, to be clear. I'm not dogging Star Wars. 
not trying to take that heat for no reason when I like it. Well, it's funny that we seized upon this because the taxonomy of all these genres is often grounds for fighting. And um, I remember being in a long <laughs> car ride once and someone described Star Wars as sci-fi. And it was almost like the record scratch. I was like, that, that's fantasy, okay? There's magic involved. The force is magic. That's not science. That doesn't belong here. Like, you're, that's Lord of the Rings, basically. I love the passion behind that. Even now. <laughs> you bring up you bring up an interesting thing that we were wrangling with, which is, you know, we're focused on climate solutions. And, you know, at Grist, it's like, you know, we're dealing the, the news side of the organization is dealing with, you know, the everyday events. And then on Fix, we're dealing with storytelling. And we were really debating whether or not we would include stories that included magical realism um, and things of that nature. And we decided to keep them in because a lot of other cultures use that as their medium to tell stories and so we really didn't want to like lock it like this is an international contest and so we did have that debate and we we landed that we're going to allow it as long as there's like some sort of we'll have to see like once we kind of like you know read and inspect the stories but but we are allowing it so that we can you know review those sort of stories i know just as a reader I would definitely like to see magical realism, environmental stories. I brought this up with Ross in a previous conversation, but I recently read a story by Nettie Okorafor. Um, okay. And there's a lot of magical realism in her stories, but it also has environmental aspects to it as well. And I think that is a really interesting direction for environmental fiction to go. Yeah, I mean, today, just to preview a call I had, <laughs> which is a funny way to talk about this, but uh, someone called us from Indonesia, and they were talking about a story where they incorporated, um, you know, mythical, like, you know, gods from, you know, like Indonesian kind of tradition and history and climate solutions. And I thought that would be really cool. Like, so again, really want to be inclusive here and respectful of different people's cultures and the way they storytell. And so um, after we had that discussion, I was really glad that the team decided to land on including stories that because it, it is really difficult when you're like a climate solutions, reality, science based place. Um, and you're saying like in, you know, to get to the future, it's okay to include magical realism. But we understand that that is just a an avenue to be able to talk about these things that we care about. Sure. And I w would like to pivot a little bit just towards more of the nuts and bolts of the contest because I was looking on your submittable page and I saw that you do not accept simultaneous submissions for this contest. So as someone who is applying for literary contests and stuff, I was wondering what Grist's turnaround time was expected to be for submissions. Is it going to be the standard three months, longer, shorter? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, we're we're just under three months. So the stories themselves, the submission deadline um, for everyone listening that's uh, interested is April twelfth at midnight um, or eleven fifty nine, and we then go into the reader phase. And I will like to would like to people to know that we have paid readers, which I think is important. So like these stories are really going to be there's gonna be two readers and one managing editor um, looking through and discussing and scoring these stories, um, which I think is a real value. There's not volunteers, we've made an investment here at Grist to um, just the quality piece is, is we're hoping um, is better because of that. And so 
April 12th, submissions close. And then there is uh, the reader phase, which is um, happening for about two months. And then we hand it off to the judges and they'll make the winning choices based on um, a selection that the readers give to them around. Uh, and they'll have a turnaround. So it's like it's just under three months. It's like about two months and two and a half weeks. So I don't know if that's like the answer you wanted to hear or if <laughs> our listens, listeners wanted to hear. Your listeners, sorry. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Definitely answers my question. Thanks. How many pages or word count? What are some of the logistical features of the pieces you're soliciting that we may not have covered yet, Tori? Yeah, for sure. So submissions are open now. You can submit through our submittable portal. Um, I'm sure Ross will put in the um, notes for this uh, episode, you know, the link so that folks can check out the site post that we put out there. And the submissions close on April 12th. We're definitely looking for short stories. And so that length that we've set is um, there's a minimum of 3,000 words and a maximum of 5,000 words. And, you know, some of the things I've been previewing and discussing in this talk is or conversation are some of the things we'll be looking for. You know, how hopeful it is. Is it have climate solutions embedded in the story? Are the characters like multi-layered and dynamic? You know, things of that nature. There's a little bit more to it. We didn't talk about this at all, but um, some of the early inspiration for this was Afrofuturism. Um, and so we're making a direct call and appeal to folks that play in that space to consider playing in the climate fiction space. Um, we want that community to show up right you know, in this space and then submit to the contest. I think we spoke a little bit about this, Tori, but has that genre been, has, has it had new life breathe into it since Black Panther? Is there a lot of work coming out of Afrofuturism right now? There's a ton of work coming out of there. I don't know if I can credit it to the popularity of Black Panther. I think there's more interest in the genre overall. But sadly, even though Black Panther was so successful, some of the greats in the genre right now aren't seeing the mainstream acclaim and success. You know, they're seeing more attention, but nothing that I, th I thought it was going to... In a way, in the background, the genre is exploding. But the folks that kind of like paved the path, I don't think they're catching the, the wind of that explosion. Um, it's kind of been, yeah, it's been monopolized in some, to some degree um, by Disney at this point. And again, that's no dig, I would say, at Disney because I'm, you know, certainly it's really exciting that they, um, you know, ran with this story and uh, produced a, a movie as good as Black Panther. Hmm. Well, more to say on that, certainly. Let's start wrapping it up. I have links to all these things in the show notes. If you'd like to participate, please be out there making climate art. If this is your inclination, we need it. We need you. Please be doing it. It's one of the reasons I tapped you on the shoulder to come help me out on this, Jess. I'm really happy you spend so much of your time thinking creatively about climate change. So thank you for co-hosting it with me. Yeah, of course. This was a really fun episode. Interesting discussion. Yeah, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Nice to meet you. And this has been great. Yeah, it's been great for me too. And I'm sure we'll have you or your colleagues back on Tori to catch us up with the winners and talk about this once it comes out. That'll be a lot of fun too. And maybe as one brief little fun thing to do as a sign off, maybe each of you could recommend a book that a reader might uh, enjoy reading. 
I don't know if anyone's read this. It's kind of a um, YA book. Uh, it is uh, Conspiracy of Stars. It's a really good, you know, science fiction book with a hint of cli-fi. Yeah, I, I would recommend it. Hmm. How about you, Jess? Oh, gosh. I don't. You'll have to come back to me <laughs> maybe when uh, Tori comes back on the show because I don't have a recommendation at the moment. Uh, you're such a book name dropper, too. Not a one. <laughs> Not Jeez. one that would fit into Cli-Fi, but I'll do my reading and I'll catch up. Okay. I think I would second your uh, suggestion earlier, Tori, of Kim Stanley Robinson's The Ministry for the Future, which I just read. And Kim Stanley Robinson himself will be on the show talking about it. I think it's our longest podcast ever. It goes for like two hours or nearly so. We had a lot of fun with it. So yeah, read this stuff, write this stuff. Thanks both of you for being here. Yeah, thank you. This has been fun. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and or Stitcher. It really helps us a lot to get this content to a wider audience. If you think what we're doing is useful, interesting, fun, hopefully all three, we'd certainly appreciate your rating and review. You can keep up with Nori at Nori.com where there is a newsletter. That's Nori.com slash subscribe. There's podcast. There's a whole bunch else. Or you can send us an email at podcast at Nori.com. We are also now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nori podcasts if you'd like more content, engagement, and community. And thank you so much for your support.